Well, uh, thank you so much for the privilege of being here and being able to share God's Word with you today. Um, I'm seeing a lot of old friends and new. And I'd like to start by sharing with you about my first friend. My first friend, when I was in kindergarten, was a little guy by the name of Stephen. Now, we met in kindergarten, and as all four-year-olds do, we had a lot of adventures together. Um, I, personally, tried to stay on the right side of the law. My mate Stephen was the polar opposite. And our teachers, because I think maybe you could do this back in the 90s, they constantly threatened to smack him because he kept running and weeing in the garden. <laughs> now, at one point, um, we, on our last day of kindy, we were asked, what were we going to do when we grew up? So, me and Stephen are sitting next to each other. And the teacher says, so, Stephen, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'll never forget it, because Stephen says, I want to be a policeman. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and, I, and then the teacher's, you know, Really? Do you want to be a good policeman, Stephen? Or a bad policeman, Stephen? And without a blink, he just says, a bad policeman! <laughs> now, we often remember our first friends. I'm sure you can remember your first ever friend as well. And they occupy a unique place in our minds. And it just goes on. If you run through the slideshow in your mind of all the friends you've ever had, each one of them has a different unique story. Now, and your friends all come in different shapes and sizes. Now, one thing, though, that you'll find that binds all your friendships together that you've ever had or or ever will have is that every friendship will only go so far. That is, there is only so far that one friend will be willing to sacrifice for the other. Now, this is often unequal. You'll have one friend who is more willing to sacrifice than another. And these friendships still exist, but there's a big difference there. It's the tension of human friendships. And Jesus uses this very tension that's both familiar to us and to his listeners in order to hook in his audience and teach something. And he does it in Luke 11, 5 to 13. Jesus said to them, Which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I don't have anything to set before him. And then the friend says from within, Don't bother me. The door's shut. My kids are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, I tell you, says Jesus, although he will not give up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. (laughs) This is a dysfunctional friendship. Can we agree there's some serious dysfunction at this point? (laughs) So, you've got a mate rocking up at your door, it's 12 a.m., bang, 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 bang. Friend! It's, it's nighttime, it's cold. Friend, give me bread, give me some food, because I've got a mate who's rocked up, and I don't have anything to give him. Now, in the ancient world, people generally would sleep in one bed. That's why in the passage you get this, all my kids and I are in bed, and the door is locked, and I cannot give you anything. If you're a parent here, you know um, the beauty of having sleeping children. You know what it's like where everyone's quiet? And so are you. 
and you're just there, and you don't want anyone to wake up, especially the little one who's been up for most of the night. But then you've got this friend banging, and you're whispering back louder and louder. No, I can't get you anything. I can't get you anything. Go away. Even though there's a limit to this friendship, because of the persistent friend banging and banging, his shameless persistence eventually drags that parent out of bed. And eventually, even though it probably wakes up the house and unlocks everything and gets the bread and <laughs> out, he does that because of the friend's shameless persistence. Now, let's switch gears here for a second. So I think this is important. It is a kind of comical story, but Jesus is using it to preach a very sharp truth. Because maybe you're like the listeners of Jesus' parable. Maybe you just maybe, are tempted to see God as that stingy friend in that parable when it comes to your prayers. You'd never say that, but on some level you feel that, and your prayer life reflects that. Who here hasn't honestly thought before, I don't think I should bother God with this. This is a small thing. Or, um, it'll be fine, I'll just handle it myself. Or maybe darker thoughts, like, well, what's the point of prayer anyway? I pray and I pray and I pray, and nothing changes. This is not an unusual state of thinking. Jesus knew people thought like that. And yet, Jesus commands us to do something in the face of those dark thoughts. Straight after Jesus says the parable, he tells his audience, I tell you, Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Now, in case you missed the prescription the first time, Jesus says it again in the verse straight afterwards. He says, For everyone who seeks or asks receives, whoever seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He says it twice because our perceptions are so ingrained. He says it twice because you need to hear it twice. We need to hear it twice. It's part of the human condition. And he wants us to be doubly certain we understand what the remedy to these thoughts are and what the truth is about these thoughts. Now, Jesus goes one step further than just wanting to give his listeners and Eastgate Bible Church today some more head knowledge about how God operates. He doesn't just want to give you knowledge He wants to give you a personal experience of this truth. The fact is, God is far more generous than you have ever hoped or imagined. And this is how God wants to give you the experience. First of all, if you think about it, if you really, really, really want something that someone else has, there's no point not asking for it. You've got to ask, right? And in the same way... If you really, really, really want to receive something, well, you need to take action. Jesus wants you to ask so that you can experience the receiving. You can't just want treasure, you've got to seek it. It's no good merely desiring to enter someone's house. You have to knock. And that's when the door is opened. The truth behind the ask, seek, knock principle that Jesus is bringing in is that the gift giver is saying to you today, ask me. 
when the one who knows where the treasure that we seek is, he's saying to you, ask me. And to the one who guards the door, he's saying to you today, ask me. Because he is far more generous than we have ever hoped or imagined. Now, let's be honest. We need to have the humility to ask and seek and knock. And the God of generosity is inviting to you to experience his generosity. Now, maybe some of you have already jumped ahead of where I'm going with this. Maybe you've already thought through some of this and you're maybe two steps ahead. Maybe you've hit your first objection for this sermon. And the objection goes something like this. Well, I have asked and I didn't receive. There's been a time when I've knocked and the door was not opened. How does that work? And you may have heard, uh, there's, one, there's one response that Christians will often tell you, where we will say, well, yes, this has happened, but God is like the, the good, loving parent who will grant you um, things that are the best for you, and he will protect you from things that you may want, but will actually harm you. Right? So it's the God is a good parent analogy. I'm sure we're all familiar with it. I don't think that is full enough when it comes to encompassing this objection. Okay? It's, now, sure, it's not any less than the fact that God is a good parent, but I think the answer has to be a lot more than that. Okay? It's not any less than that, but the answer needs to be a lot more than that. Because we're not talking about kids wanting a biscuit. We're talking about a mum or a dad praying to God they won't be redundant next week. We're not talking about kids who want to slide on a hot slippery dip. We're talking about failing crops that a community of farmers has been praying about for years. And we're not talking about tantrums. We're talking about disease and death and us asking God for a reprieve from those things. So how do we look at it? Well, with my, very, with my present very tentative level of understanding, I want to make a suggestion First of all, I think we can all agree that when it comes to love, God loves those around us far more than we love those around us. I love my wife, Carly, very, very much. But I know God loves Carly much more than her husband does. I know that I love my children. I don't think anyone else in the world, bar Carly and I, love them as much. But Jesus loves them more than I do. So we know, and this applies for anyone you know, and God even loves you more than you love you. It's a truth. God loves you even more than you love you. So step one, you've got to realize God loves more than you do. And this therefore means he also hates evil more than you do. He hates evil more than you do. I get very, very angry about particular topics of evil that I bump into as a chaplain. But I know that God hates this a lot more than I do. I know you get very angry about certain things that you've experienced or that you've heard about, but I can tell you straight from God's word that God gets more angry than you do about those things. So when we combine these two truths, that God is loves more than we do and he hates evil more than we do, then I think it's fair to say that when tragedy does enter our lives and the lives of those we love, God suffers more than we do. 
because he's far more invested in these things than we are. See, we serve a God with scars. We serve a God with scars. We serve a God who can be grieved, according to Ephesians. We serve a God who implores his people to return to him. This is not a fake imploring. This is not a fake, oh Israel, oh Israel, I love you. This is not a fake grievance. This is a real experience that God has. And I take hope in the fact that he knows more than I do, and he will one day potentially reveal to me more than I currently know. So all this means that he gives you and I a safe place where we can fully express our grief and simultaneously fully cling to him. Even in my grief and even in our corporate grief, his generosity continues. And so we pursue him. And so we pursue him. And to bring this point home of pursuing a generous God, rain, hail, or shine, tragedy or celebration, Jesus gives you one last encouragement. Many of us here, as parents, know what it is to give good gifts to our kids, and Jesus uses that to work some very vivid images from his own day. He says to you, which father among you, if your kid asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if, you ask, or if your kid asks you for an egg, you give him a scorpion? Well, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those of you who ask? Now, a fish and an an eel, or a fish and a serpent, uh, Greek's kind of tricky on that one. The fact is, you don't give blatantly harmful things to your kids, right? Um, And neither do you give things that are deceptively harmful, that look good on the outside. Because you see, many of Jesus' listeners were familiar with this little yellow um, white scorpion that existed in those days. And it would roll itself up into a ball whenever it was threatened. And it looked kind of like an egg. Right? So a really cruel, horrendous prank, right, would involve swapping an egg for one of these rolled up scorpions. Okay? And a kid certainly wouldn't tell the difference. And Jesus says, which one of you as parents would ever do that? Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. If we know how to give good gifts, how much more God will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, because this is my first time preaching here, um, allow me to say something controversial. Maybe I'll get to come back, maybe I won't. (laughs) If you've been a Christian for a while here, you might feel kind of underwhelmed at this point. God's Spirit has lived in me since I started following Jesus. That's the height of God's generosity? Something I received years ago? Well, hold up for a second. The Holy Spirit is not a something. It's a someone. And secondly, someone has come to live in you. And secondly, think about this for a second. If you're praying for comfort, God will give you the spirit of comfort. If you're praying for patience at work or at school, God says he'll give you the spirit of patience. And if you are praying for wisdom in a very difficult, complex situation, well, God will give you his spirit of wisdom. In fact, 99% of things that you can list off in your head that you have ever prayed for, God gives you through his spirit. 
Take some time to think about that. God grants through the Spirit. Now, the best thing about this whole amazing promise of God's generosity is that He doesn't give you something, He gives you Himself. It is one thing for someone to give you a gift. It is a whole other thing for someone to gift or commit themselves to you. That's on a whole different level. And that is what God promises to you. He will not give you things, He will give you Himself. He doesn't have to. He is under no obligation. And yet he looks at you and he says, ask, and you'll receive. That's the sort of generous God we serve. Therefore, I want to challenge you to accept Jesus' invitation this week. He, asks, he invites you to A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. A-S-K. He invites you to ask, seek, and knock, and to build a lifetime of experiencing his limit-shattering generosity. So if you want to accept this invitation, I'd encourage you, start praying for 10 minutes a day, before breakfast, whenever it works best for you. Pray for 10 minutes a day, and to ask God for whatever's on your heart, in light of his generosity and of his sovereignty. Then, as he begins to fulfill this promise he's made to you, as he begins to answer these certain prayers, I want to encourage you to generously share stories of God's generosity to you. Generously share the stories of God's generosity to you, to your small group, to the other members of your church, to your family. Be generous in both sharing and celebrating what God's done for you. I reckon we could start something here. I reckon if every person here decided to accept Jesus' invitation, and if every person from Eastgate did pray just even 10 minutes a day to start with, what do you think would start happening in this room? What do you think would happen next time you come to small group? What sort of stories do you think you'd have? Because I know in this room, if I just pointed to any one of you, like, for example... Paul, (laughs) or if I was to point to Tim, or to Ray, and I was to say to any one of you, tell me a time where God answered prayer. Ray might say, well, and then he'll share a very obvious time. He probably has, I reckon, because Ray, you've been a senior saint longer than the rest of us, uh, you've probably got maybe 20 or 30, if you really sat down, I reckon you'd have 20 or 30 powerfully answered prayers that occurred in your life. If you really sat down and hacked through it. For those of us who are younger, maybe you've got like 10 or 15, right? Start doing the maths. Every person here, 10 or 15 answered prayers in your lifetime. How many people do you reckon we've got in this room? Let's just say, if we really pack this place up, we've got 100 e-skaters, right? 100 e-skaters, 15 answered prayers each on average. That's 1,500 answered prayers in this room, in this lifetime, before we've even jumped and accepted Jesus' invitation. What happens if we did? And that's just in this room. That tells me two things. One, God is very generous. And two, God is very busy. (laughs) He's very active. So that's my challenge to you. That's my encouragement to you. And that's Jesus' invitation presently to you today. It comes from his word. It will be fulfilled. You just need to step out and grab it. So, 
That's what God's saying to you on May the 26th, 2019. What will God be saying to you and what will he have answered for you next week? Or in May the 26th, 2020? That's up to you. If you ask, you'll, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be open to you. So in light of this, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you give us this amazing truth. And not just the fact that it's amazingly true, it's the fact that you're amazingly willing. Lord God, I just thank you for the many, many stories that are in this place, even now. And I thank you for the many, many stories that you are going to craft over the coming days and weeks as, as we begin to follow you and obey you and serve you in this area, Lord Jesus. Lord, we all live very busy lives, but Lord God, give us the guts to carve out a time where we can connect with you and to connect with each other and share the good things you've been doing in us. We thank you that you are so generous and we thank you in advance, in faith, for everything you've got planned for us, for your glory and for our joy. In your name, amen.